A rare home game for us here on the Bearded Carcast. I am Mike Pacheco, Dave Freeman. Well, not really a home game. We're going to Davidson. It's only about. Oh, we're uh, not going through Hendersonville. We're not. No, we're not going to Ralph's Donuts either. Unfortunately. Ooh, I, I, I like going to Hendersonville and getting apples. I've got an ample supply, but we did not get enough Ralph Donuts when we left Tennessee Tech out in Cookville, Tennessee, where we may never return. But um, hold on a minute, Doc. I blame the guy that um. <laughs> The, the, our, our Vietnam veteran friend that uh, was called Jeremy an engineer called you Doc. Uh, he didn't tell us to bring like a dozen home with us each. That was a, that was a fail on his part. Yeah, but he did say we would be back, and he was very mm. very certain of yeah. it. At the end of Winthrop Tennessee Tech last week, we uh, were leaving the gym and talking to Mitch Hill's parents. Mitch is the director of basketball operations at Winthrop, and he's from Cookville, the mayor of Cookville. He is the mayor. As some people call him. Apparently, not just like casually, like a lot of people actually call him that. And uh, his parents said, well, have you been to Ralph's Donuts? And we're like, no, what are you talking about? And we said, well, I I guess we missed it. And they go, no, no, it's open late. You should stop on the way out of town. And we did, and we ran into... Vietnam vet with a lot of character and a lot of personality, and he uh, he told us that he got off the bus leaving Vietnam. I didn't know the bus went straight <laughs> from did. Vietnam to Cookville, and that's where the bus stopped, and he had been there ever since. So I, I think he's been at the donut shop for decades. Yes, he has, but he was right. The, uh, the, the donuts were fantastic. The there. donuts were excellent, but you and Jeremy made a major mistake. They told us right there that the butter twist were named best three years running and you guys didn't have butter twists and why would i go back if i now i have a reason to go back oh so you're just opening the door for an excuse to go back to cook exactly it's like a it's like a cliffhanger in a show to do a sequel wow so if cookville is known for donuts yeah then we of course went to uh Kind of an interesting little depot while we were yes, in we town. Yes, we did. We did. Well, you know, you know how much we like trains. <laughs> we do, uh, but th- it was actually pretty nice. It um, was very nice. Little train museum there. The the, uh, the railroad played a depot. big piece in the history of. It Cookville. did. Well, you know, Dave, the railroad really opened up a lot of rural areas in the southeast. Not in the south, really throughout the United States in the 1800s. Instead of stopping at different places the rest of the year, we're just going to stop at train depots and tell the exact same story exactly. in every well, I th- community I think we, should we go, go You're not going to be there, I don't think, but I, well, maybe we'll, I'll do that in Pulaski. I'll just stop by. Uh, absolutely. So so if that's the story yeah. of Cookville, right. today we're going to Davidson, which is a short drive, a half yeah. hour north of Charlotte, Um what is the story of Davidson? Because there are a lot of kind of interesting pieces of history to both the school and the area. Well, Davidson, you know, started out in the uh, 1800s Presbyterian College, and uh, they were kind of like a lot of other schools in that era, Dave, uh, kind of fledgling. And then they got this, like, at the time, uh, probably worth millions today, right? But they had this huge, like, $250,000 uh, donation and that really kind of set them on their path to being kind of and I don't say this facetiously but kind of like being like an Ivy League school of the South. Yeah, they totally are. The school was founded in 1837. In 1856, they got a $250,000 gift from Maxwell uh, Chambers, and that immediately made them the richest school south of Princeton. Wow. So they are kind of like an Ivy League school, and what they've done with that money and over a long period of time is build this enormous endowment over $700 million, and they have no student loans at the school. If you yeah. can get in to Davidson, 
you pay what you are able to, but if if there is a piece to the puzzle or even all of the puzzle that you cannot afford between um, work study and just um, scholarships, mm-hmm. th- th- there are no student loans. Nobody leaves Davidson in debt. They have they created a um, the Davidson Trust. It's a trust fund, and uh, a, a 1957 grad, I think it's Ted Baker, I think is his name. Donated like $25 million like three, four years ago. And they're in a big like $400 million uh, campaign right now. It's a really, really fascinating story. Do you know where the name Davidson came from? Um, it wasn't Bob Davidson, the, uh, it, the Major League Baseball <laughs> umpire. <laughs> yeah, he didn't call a balk on the way. No. Um, the land was purchased from William Davidson II. Mm. That, that's the land in Davidson, North Carolina. His dad was a brigadier general. Oh, and we know how you like military history. I love history. military history. Yeah, I missed that one. So we're on the road, and before we go to the game, of course, we're going to stop for yeah. a nice little lunch. I think we're looking at burgers and milkshakes type deal today at the soda shop in Davidson, mm. a place that's been there a long time. But Davidson actually has two campuses. So there's the one that everyone's familiar with right, right in downtown Davidson, but we're going to go check out the Lake Campus. Yeah, they have about 110 acres on Lake Norman. Lake Norman is one of the, uh, for, for those that aren't uh, Charlotte-based or Charlotte-familiar, uh, there's two giant lakes that are basically man-made lakes by Duke Energy for their two nuclear power plants. Uh, and um, I forget the acreage. I mean, they're both pretty huge lakes, but the uh, uh, Lake Norman is where the Davidson campus is. Uh, really good, fun recreational area. And uh, this uh, campus for Davidson they do uh, they do a summer camp for kids there. Uh, they, it's their club sailing and crew uh, will work out of there, and it's an opportunity for uh, students, alumni, faculty to to use the the lake campus and in, in, uh, in a recreational style. And you know who may be moving to a lake sometime soon? Uh, Urban Meyer. That's right. Yeah, Urban Meyer no longer going to be coaching Ohio State after the Rose Bowl. By any measure, he is an unbelievable Hold on a minute. Is he the next coach. Charlotte football coach? I think they've actually made a hire <laughs> in the process of making a hire, though we kind of thought that a few days ago, yeah, and it didn't right, really didn't work, work out, out so much. Um, by any measure, Urban Meyer is a Hall of Fame football coach, one of the greatest football coaches of all time. But do you believe he is leaving because of health reasons, because of off-field concerns or because the time is right? I think it's a kind of has to be what happened this fall, right? I mean, there was um, there's been some discussion as to whether maybe the university and the suspension didn't word it strong enough uh, that would have merited him being fired. You know, this is isn't it a case with Urban Meyer where there's just a lot of smoke around him? There's no doubt about that. And, and what I mean by that is at some point, don't you say, great football coach, maybe not the best human being? But you say that about a lot of good coaches. I mean, yeah. you hire him to win football games, and he wins a lot of football games. Now, there's a lot of baggage. I mean, he coached Aaron Hernandez at Florida. Does that make him the problem? No, it does not. And all the stuff surrounding Zach Smith and the the stuff from the beginning of the year that he got suspended for, but yeah, he 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 leaves an interesting past. Is this it for Urban Meyer, or do you see a ESPN job for a couple of years and another another gig? Clay Travis, I know, was thinking that maybe he'll be the next coach at USC. Well, I think what's probably most likely, if you believe some of the reports we're hearing, I mean, uh, you know, 
it probably, I mean, there probably is some truth to the health issues. You know, I know he was complaining about migraines earlier in the year. And he's, well, he's visibly, like, stricken on the sideline. I mean, he, he does not look healthy. Yeah. So I, my guess would be probably television, I think he did well last time he was on television, probably would be in his future. If he's really not feeling well, he probably just needs to take the year off and get better. Yep. Um, get his health together. Maybe reflect on, you know, what what's important in life um, and maybe reflect on what, what transpired. What is important in life? Because I know what's important to a lot of people, but I'm not so sure the most important thing to Urban Meyer isn't coaching and winning football games. Yeah, but maybe... You, I don't know if you can go through something like this that he went through with all the off-field stuff and the Zach Smith. and I, I mean, I, I don't know. If you're a decent... If you do, in some respects, consider yourself a decent human being... Don't you have to reflect and say, you know, did I make the best choices? I mean, I know the choices made were made for football, but we're, we're in being a good human being, were those the best life choices? And, you know, maybe the answer in his head is still yes. I don't know. A lot of people would say the answer is no. So maybe um, he'll have an opportunity to reflect. You know, sometimes when people face health crisis, Dave, sometimes they do um, reflect on their lives and, and, um, and maybe realize that maybe they did make some mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you make of the Charlotte football situation? I, I don't know that you and I are prepared to assess the one AA candidates that they hired and then didn't hire and then hired another one today. I think the guy they hired might be the youngest coach in the country from Austin P. Yeah. But, I mean, is that a good job? Is that a desirable job? The advantages to the job, Dave, are you have new facilities. Uh, you have an expandable stadium. You do have... You know the Charlotte fan base is interesting. There, there's certainly a a vocal minority, and I think there's the element of if they start winning, that you know it'll obviously come together for them. The negative to the job is, or let me stay with the positives. You know, you're in a good recruiting area. You know, you can recruit your county, you can recruit Cabarrus County, the you know areas in and around Charlotte, uh, Mecklenburg County. There's 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 some good football talent here. What I think is, is it a I'd say good, not great job. I think it has the potential to be very good. The I don't know if the negative um, is Conference USA. You know, you are in a good TV market, but um, I mean, let's face it your home ske- your home schedule when it comes to conference opponents doesn't really light up the. I mean, are you gonna uh, are you gonna um, postpone a trip to Hendersonville to see Florida Atlanta <laughs> come to town? And, and and that's not a knock on. I mean, Charlotte is where Charlotte is, and that's not their. You know, that's not their fault. They're probably in as good a position as they can be. Um, I've always made the argument, Dave, that had they started football when I moved here in yep. 1998, they're probably in the the American right now. Well, and you've also made the argument, and I think it's a good one, that the campus was built in the wrong place. Yeah, I mean, that can't, in hindsight, they should have built that campus where CPCC is just on the outskirts of 277 where Memorial Stadium is. And I think if, that, if, if that's your home football stadium and that's your campus, uh, you know, no and then you look like College of Charleston. I mean, then you're right downtown, right downtown, and it's hip and desirable and fun. And I think that's the problem. People don't drive to Charlotte games unless you're a Charlotte alum or you live in the university area or App State's playing there. They, they, they do have an expandable stadium, but it's not as though they're drawing huge crowds. No, but and let's be honest, though. I mean, this program still is in its infancy. I mean, it's Absolutely. only like seven years old. So, I mean... That's why I still put it in a good job category because you you have an opportunity to grow something. Yep. And, and Brad Lambert didn't necessarily leave this in in the terrible shape. And I mean, I would argue that um, he probably did almost as good a job as anybody could have done. Now you could say, okay, maybe he should have won sooner and won more wins. Were they five wins this year? Um, 
but you know it, it's the equivalent of you know you start a job and um, doing one thing and then all of a sudden you're told that you know your job is increased threefold in the significant what I mean by that is yeah. he came in thinking it was a FCS level job yep. with the intention of someday becoming FBS yeah and then it got sped up and uh, and it got and now that's a good problem to have because I mean I would I would say in hindsight they'll look back and say yeah it was a tough you know first seven eight years but you know it was a good thing that we got to division one FBS as quickly as we we did I feel though it can go in two different ways you can bring in a coach who immediately, you know, kind of builds on what Brad's foundation was yeah. and, and you steadily get the momentum going, or you can stall out and go backwards and then you're 15 years into the program and there's no momentum and it's like, yeah, we've got football, but yeah. no one really pays attention to us, yada, yada, yada. Well, they had that quickly because Mac Brown was off the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ex- exactly. It, w- it was a tough. It was a tough call. Speaking of um, Mac Brown, who at one time actually won a national championship, and Urban Meyer, who has perennially been in the playoffs. Urban's team just missed. He just yep. missed the missed the playoff. Oklahoma gets in. Georgia out. How do you assess what the committee came up with? I think the committee had to. I think what they came up with in the end was probably the correct solution. But I will say a huge but in a caveat. Um, I think it all boils down to what was their what was their qualifying, what was their end game in all this? As far as were they looking for the best four teams, or maybe the most four deserving teams? And and why I phrase it like that is because I think Georgia was one of the four best teams. I don't think there's any question about that. The way they played Alabama, I understand that they didn't win a conference championship, and they had two losses, but how can the goal not be, I guess the goal could not be to have the best teams in the same way that the NCAA tournament's goal is not necessarily to have the best teams, because the winner of the Big South Conference might not be one of the 68 best teams, but you allow those conferences to be relevant and play for something. But is Oklahoma the equivalent of Radford or Winthrop? Like, do they need extra benefits in yeah. order to get in like like I don't really like we've talked about this ad nauseum you go eight teams every conference champion gets in once Cinderella yeah. gets no, that, no, in no doubt. Notre Dame gets in yeah. you've got another wild yeah. card that's Georgia yeah. it's perfect but without doing that we really have to like bend the rules to get a big 12 team in instead of having the better team no I, I you, and you and I we talked about this last week I, I, I mean I, I if I were on the committee I would have pushed for Georgia Yep. Um, but I think the the drumbeat of you know a two loss team being in, you know there was that argument. Well, uh, you know, and a lot of people are trying to justify the decision too by saying, well, technically, not technically, but you know, well, you can kind of look at it like this was the play. You know, the, the conference championship games was the playoff, and you know they lost their playoff game. And come on, I mean, look, look, Georgia, Georgia would probably beat any one of those other three teams. I don't know if they beat Clemson, but I certainly think they beat... Oh, it could be competitive. It'd yeah. be extremely competitive. Yeah, I think so. And and now we get to these playoff games, and like my excitement level is very, very low for the two semifinals. I, I don't think either of them are going to be competitive. I don't think Notre Dame can play with Clemson, and I don't think Oklahoma can play with Alabama. And I haven't really followed a lot of Oklahoma, so I haven't really gotten excited about any of their storylines. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I grew up... a BC fan, but you know I always kind of like Notre Dame too. So I mean I'll be I'll be interested in that game just because I have you know kind of the the Subway alumni I guess. I, Oklahoma is as good 
a watch, as good a view well, I mean, they're gonna, as they're, there is. They're going to light it up. I mean, it's going right. to be an up and down game. Right. I, I just, you know, at some point Alabama's going to get some stops, and there's no reason to believe Oklahoma's going to get any. No, absolutely. And, you know, that was a really good um, uh, SEC championship game. Yeah, it, it was a great game. So for all the people that don't want a rematch, why? Yeah. Don't, don't you want really good games? Isn't that the, the point of the... The exercise, like the best teams playing the most competitive games. No one's played Alabama close. Georgia plays Alabama close. No, we don't want them. Put in Oklahoma. They're not as good. No one objectively thinks they're as good. But they won a not-as-good conference, so let's put them in. Well, you you could also make the argument, um, you know, Georgia really stepped on themselves there because, you know, had they won, it's academic what the yep. four would have been in. Yeah, now, now that's very true. You can easily say that Georgia had their opportunity, didn't close the door, and therefore they don't get in. And that's a perfectly good argument so long as you're okay with not having the four best teams in. Dave, we've arrived at the Lake Campus, and I see a lot of, uh, like, uh, bird feeding uh, boxes around here. Huh. And they, a, a fence sort of is going closed. On? I assume that Jeremy's going to talk his way in, though. He is an engineer, you know. He is an engineer. Well, that didn't really work out so well. It turns out... The Lake Campus is closed today. <laughs> We're talking to you after the game. Uh, we went and did a lot of different things uh, in between the, the two segments here. Winthrop falling, what was the final, 99 to 78 or something like that? 99-71 72. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it was almost a 20-point 20, uh, 20 game, but it was an absolute air show in the, in the game today. And it would have been fun to have uh, a little bit of a show at the Lake Campus, but uh, the gate was closed. We didn't have uh, any kind of key fob or badge to get in so we had to uh, make other plans and go uh, go into downtown now we had we did a good lunch at the soda shop if you're ever in uh, Davidson in the Davidson area coming down 77 maybe there's a lot of traffic stop in uh, and check out downtown Davidson because I know you've been there a lot Dave but it really is kind of the quintessential college town and had a lot of great shops and a lot of great restaurants yeah the downtown isn't big but it has all of those essentials for a college town. It's got the good restaurants for, you know, the parents when they come into town, and it's got the kind of barry type places. And we went to a place that, that's been around for decades and decades and kind of just a, a classic. It, when we walked in there, Dave, I, I literally felt like we were going back to the 60s. It turns out that place, the soda shop, has been there since 1951, and it is. It's it's kind of like your soda shop. Uh, uh, burgers and dogs are what they're known for now, but when they started out back in the 50s, it was uh, you know like tuna salad, chicken salad, pimento salad, if that's a thing. Um, and really, you know, it it I mean it looked like an old time soda place. It was really and the shakes were fantastic. Yeah, it was good. And then we headed over to the game, and they've done such a good job with that that new kind of foyer area yeah. with all of the memorabilia from their three elite eight runs. And now inside the arena, they've they've kind of turned it around. They've changed the lighting and the seating. It's all now, uh, you know, they, they used to have benches. Now they've mm-hmm. got seat backs on every seat. And it's really turned into a, a, a legitimate A-10 venue for what is a legitimate A-10 school. The first year in the league, they were picked to finish 12th. And 
they won it. Yeah. And they are a perennial power in that league because Bob McKillop does an unbelievable job, and the way they play is just so aesthetically pleasing. I kind of felt like, so there was a moment in the second half, Winthrop was down probably about 8-12 to 12 in that range. I forget the exact score. And the lights went out. And it kind of reminded me of, remember the Super Bowl? Um, yeah. And uh, what was it? It was the Ravens and the Niners, right? Yep. And, and I felt maybe that was going to give Winthrop a little bit of um, you know, a chance to kind of regroup and maybe go on a little bit of a run, but unfortunately uh, it was Davidson that did that. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're not a veteran team, but they play like a veteran team. They've only got one senior, and, and Nathan Equi doesn't really play, but they have six uh, foreign players, and they just play such a high IQ sort of game. Nothing rattles them. They're not the most athletic team in the world, but they can shoot it and they pass beautifully. And it, it, it's it's just a, a pretty brand of basketball. I really love their big man. Yeah, me too. He reminded me of Kevin McHale. Uh, give me the pronunciation. I know we talked about him a hundred times, and, I, and I'm still struggling with his name. Yeah, he's a freshman. Bojevic. <laughs> yeah, we're no longer being paid for yeah. this portion of the broadcast. Um, he he's terrific, Luka Dojkovic or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, I I don't have it now because I don't have the pronunciation sheet sitting in front of me, but. Uh, yeah, he's just so slow and deliberate. He's got every kind of little jab step, post move, jump hook, great footwork. Yeah, and, and, very skilled. And, and as a freshman, boy, he's he's got a bright future ahead of him. And Goodmanson, the, the point guard, does a little bit of everything. He shoots it, he makes his teammates better, and he gets rebounds, and he scores. And Grady is kind of the scorer of the bunch. They, they, they've got a nice-looking roster. That's a really great program, too, not just on the basketball side, but when you look at the, in the entire college, I mean, it really is like a mini Ivy League, you know, when yep. they have that huge endowment and they continue to raise money and the alumni are engaged. I didn't realize this, Dave, <clears throat> um, until you mentioned it. There's only something like 1,900 students. Yeah, uh, among football-playing Division One schools, they're the fourth smallest behind uh, – Presbyterian and VMI and Wofford. I mean, it kind of makes sense that they're in the Pioneer League. Yeah, you know, uh, like. absolutely. I mean, they, they've put their their resources into men's basketball, and it has been a very fruitful way of going about it. And while things are going very good for Davidson and have for a very long time, the Panther franchise has been kind of historically average, right? I think their all-time record is something around 500 and they've they've slipped this year back into the 500 range there are certainly a lot of people calling for ron rivera's job and really pressing the panic button where are you on the on the state of the panthers i always like to try and keep an even keel with stuff like this dave i mean granted look and i'm not suggesting that people should not be concerned but i know um Looking at social media on the post-game show on Sunday, I mean, there were so many people that just wanted, you know, people to get fired. And <clears throat> that's why they're called fans. It's short for fanatics. Right. right. Um, and I'm always, <clears throat> I always try to be very careful about those type of discussions because there, there's some things that we just don't know. You know, I mean, is it is it something that's structural as far as, I mean, is it play calling? Is it technique? Um, or is it... Uh, you know, or is it something that's you know more on the player side? Are the players just not getting it done, and are, you know, are, are guys injured that they're not reporting? Not that they're not reporting, but are guys more injured or, you know, or, and I think that in the case I'm of the Panthers, it. I think they've just kind of 
maybe they got old at the wrong time. Yeah, I'm not a huge Ron guy. I haven't been from the start, but his resume tells you he's a pretty good coach. I mean, yeah, he's got a winning record. He's been to the fake, Super Bowl. You can't fake the wins and the losses. And watching the Tampa Bay game, and I probably watched more of that game than I have any other Panther game in, I don't know, maybe since the Philly game the last several right. weeks at least, it just seemed readily apparent to me they're getting beat at the point of the attack. Yes. I don't think that's coaching. That's players. Well, and the other problem, Dave, is remember if we go back to a bearded car cast from the summertime talking about the Panthers' upcoming season, I'm sure I mentioned something like the defensive line was going to be a strength of this team. Right. And, you know, with Kwan Short and, you know, um, they got uh, Julius Peppers. You know, Peppers, you know, I think he's starting to look his age. I mean, yep. he's, he's playing and he's, you know, he's still doing things, but he's not putting up and having the impact that we've seen him have in the past. And, you know, the secondary has had, had their issues throughout the year. Is it also possible they really miss Steve Wilkes? Well, think about this, and, and not, not again, this is not the excuse machine, but how many times have you and I talked about it at different programs, at different sports? Uh, you'll say, like, you know, this team's had, you know, three head coaches in three years or three head coaches in four years or coordinators or whatever. And that's the case on this defense. I mean, they've had three different coordinators now in the last three years, and maybe it's possible that maybe that brain drain of, you know, McDermott leaving and Wilkes leaving, uh, you know, maybe that is leaving a little bit of a hole. Well, and those two guys earned head coaching jobs, yeah. leaving you to believe that they did a really good job and someone wanted to hire them. And, and I have no idea whether what they currently have there, and I know they fired a couple of defensive coaches this week, is, you know, fine and continues in that legacy of very good defensive coaches or maybe after two really really good ones that earned head coaching jobs they've just taken a major step back and you would think when cam newton is statistically having one of his better years and again this okay four interceptions I mean, cam is not lost good the last game but th that's one of the four losses well i would argue dave that it, on the surface it, it you can certainly say that there were other factors involved with that too though the the offensive line was a little more porous than it had been. Hadn't given up a sack the week before, gave up four sacks. Two of the interceptions came on pressure where maybe he stayed in the pocket too long, you could make that argument, but as he was throwing the ball, his arm got hit, so instead that, of having the right trajectory on it, it got a little fluttered. But a couple of those he has to eat. I mean, you can't throw interceptions, and they were in position to score, to tie, to take the lead, whatever it was, and, and you know, yes, he's pressured, and yes, it's not a adverse situation, but at some point you have to swallow it. Or throw no, it away. no, and there, there, there were some times that we even said that, and, and there was one play too where um, I think it was a third down play where, uh, or a fourth, maybe in the fourth down play where Cam threw it downfield like 20, 30 yards instead of maybe trying to find something right. intermediate, and, and so that's. But here's the thing: if you, if, if your defense, if you're playing the complimentary football that they like to talk about, and the and the defense isn't allowing uh, over 20 points. You know, I think the Panthers have a chance to win that game. I think some of his errors were because they were they were behind by a score and they were trying to make something happen, uh, particularly earlier in the fourth quarter when it looked like they were trying to go for like a two for one, where they were you know, like co trying to go down and score, try to get a stop, and then you you go with the game tied, and then try and take the lead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he forced it a little bit, but you know, so so where are we now? I mean, they're on the outside looking in to try to make the playoffs, and they still have two games with New Orleans. Well, this is probably the worst final four stretch of, you know, not any team, but arguably it's one of the tougher final four stretches for any team. You know, Cleveland's not going to roll over even though they've got five wins. Um, you know, 
will Baker Mayfield rebound from, you know, he had some issues on Sunday. Then you look at, um, you have New Orleans at home. Then you go, uh, you stay at home, and you have Atlanta coming in. And that's a divisional game. Those two teams don't like each other. And then you finish with New Orleans. Obviously, the, the critical game is the, the first New Orleans game. They have to, they really, in my opinion, have to win out to the to get a playoff spot, I don't, and even then, that's not guaranteed. But um, you know, that first New Orleans game is interesting because if they still have only the two losses, now you give them the third loss, and then coming into the last week, if New Orleans only has three losses, do they then um, play Drew Brees? Are they playing it safe? Yep. So, so I mean, that fourth game is is kind of a. Pardon the pun. It's kind of a wild card. If you can go three and zero the next three games, you know that game is is extremely interesting. Yeah, I mean, but we're a long way from getting there. They've lost four straight. Are you saying we need to take it one game at a time? <laughs> is that what you're telling Let's me? put it this way: If Ron doesn't win this week, I'm not sure he's going to be coaching the next week. Well, what's I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know that you can make that um, that leap. And, and and to go back to what you're saying. You know, I think Ron has a strong case for for keeping his job. I agree. Now the now what becomes an issue is, is we're not talking about um, you know working under Jerry Richardson. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about a new owner who who has said he wants to be competitive. Um, you know, feels like he bought a team that was competitive. Like we had Mick Mixon on the voice of the Panthers mm-hmm. before the year started, and he was very optimistic. And whether you or from the outside looking in, people thought this was going to be a 11-win team or a 9-win team. Once you start well, expectations are high. Absolutely. And once you start well and start slipping backwards, and you go from we're a playoff team, we're going to compete for a bye, maybe we can make a championship game to we could be drafting the top 10, the the ownership who is new and had high expectations cannot be happy campers. And now we're seeing the negative side or the, the negative side of uh, the snowball effect or yep. confidence. Remember in 2015, the Panthers went 15-1. and one. You know, that team seemingly couldn't lose a game until they, you know, lost in the Super Bowl. And that team, they just walked on the field thinking they were going to win every game. Yep. And I think this team started to have that feeling at 6-2, and two, feeling pretty good. But now they've lost four games in a row, and you can't help but wonder if there's that a little bit of that creeping in of doubt. And now you don't have Greg Olson for the rest of the year because he, he broke his foot. Um, he uh, The plantar fascia, which was a little bit different than what the injury he had, same foot. Um, and now you don't have, you know, one of Cam's safety valves I would have said his preferred target, but I think Christian McCaffrey has overtaken that. Um, and part of that's because Greg hasn't been on the field healthy in two seasons. Let me ask you this question, and I'm not an intangibles guy. I'm an I'm a measurables right. and a lot a, more a the intangible guy. guy. Where is the leadership on this team? The leadership on this team offensively is still Cam Newton, Ryan Khalil. Um, I would say Greg Olson still has that leadership role, even though he's going to be injured. But sometimes when you're injured... It, 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 it you know it, it is a weird kind of thing. But Don't I think they're really good teams when their backs are against the wall. The leaders play a role. Right. And, and well, well, let me finish the answer because I only mentioned the offensive leaders. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, even though Peppers isn't the vocal leader, Peppers is a leader. Uh, I would put Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley, 
Um, probably Mike Adams in that category as well. Maybe Captain Munnellin because even though he's on his second tenure, I mean, he's he's kind of had a long, uh, long tenure with this team. Yeah, I mean, I'm not in the locker room. I have absolutely no idea. But teams that, you know, you know, you're a Patriots fan, and we've seen Belichick teams, you know, go in small losing streaks, and then they pick up the pieces, and they rally the troops. Like, I really wasn't concerned with three straight losses. But then going to a bad Tampa Bay team and not winning that game and having plenty of opportunities to do it and kind of shooting yourself in the foot time and time again, I think that's a disheartening loss. I would say this. I was not concerned um, with the first two losses. I was mildly concerned with the loss last week. Um, this week's loss obviously adds to that concern, but what really is the the red siren in my head going off, Dave, is the fact that um, the last three games they've lost by one possession or less, one touchdown or less. Yep. And if you're, you know, I mean, th- that's the difference between... You know they have 12 games right now. I mean that's the difference between, you know, maybe being nine and three or uh, eight and four as opposed to being six and six. Right, and if you just win one of them, you're seven and five, and you control right. your own destiny. I think to I'll be honest, the uh, not that I would ever lie to you, but the if this season ends in disaster, I I think you point to the Tampa Bay game because I think you win that game, and then you can kind of go on a little bit of a run and feel good about yourselves. Um, now this be- this game coming up now with Cleveland becomes you know, ex- as as must win as you can have in a six and six season um, because if now they go on five in a row you know I'm not saying this team will give up because th- th- I mean they've fought even in the Steeler game they they fought even though that game was a blowout and they you know had the game in Philadelphia where it looked like they were going to lose and they came back but so this team has the talent to do it but they have to. And I don't know, I, I can't tell you I know the answer, but they have to find a way to figure it out if they want to salvage the season. Yeah, I mean, if they lose this game, then you need all three the rest of the way right. and help right. to make the playoffs. And the momentum of five straight losses, including now losses to Tampa Bay and Cleveland, yeah. I, I'm just not sure you survive that. But I think they're um, they're better than the record indicates. And I know it's easy to say that. And, you know, I I am a firm Bill Parcells. You are what your record says you are. Um, but when you look at the close losses that this team has had, and even the the you know the Philadelphia game was one maybe they should have lost. Uh, they stole that game, or they they you know, they came back to win that game. So I mean, the answer, as Dave Gettleman said, I think the answer still is on this roster to turn it around this year. But it it is it's going to be a tall it's it's going to be a tall order. I mean, it, it's probably what would you put the odds that they finish with uh, nine or fewer wins. Nine or fewer? Yeah. So that means they go three and one or worse? Yeah. Well, that that assumes the only way they don't finish nine and four or worse is if they win out. Or say eight wins. So, uh, like, let's go. Uh, do they finish the season eight and eight? Are they more likely to go eight and eight or worse? Or are they do what's the chances? I think they're going eight and eight. I mean, I think you beat Cleveland this week. You lose to New Orleans next week. You beat Atlanta, and now if you're playing for something the last week of the year, and New Orleans not playing for anything, then maybe you win that yeah. and you go nine and seven. But I, I mean, 
I think they're going to be favored in two games and underdog in two games. So I think the likelihood is you're going 8-8. Eight and eight. I, I don't know if that's good enough or not. Now keep in mind, and this is for our, our listeners that are not Panther fans or don't reside in Charlotte and kind of have a basic understanding of the Carolina Panthers. This team has been to the Super Bowl a bunch of times. I mean, they've been to the Super Bowl twice. Under Ron Rivera, they've been once. Uh, they've been to the playoffs, obviously, a bunch of times, but never in the team's history, right? 1995 was the first year of their existence. Never in the team's existence, even though they have gone to playoffs back-to-back, they've never had a winning season yep. back-to-back. Yep, yep, that's, that's right. And 8-8 eight and eight is a winning season. To get to 9-7, and seven, they need three out of the last yeah. four. I mean, I don't think any objective viewer could suggest that they're better than New Orleans. But the last game of the year, it might be Teddy Bridgewater. And, yeah, and they're, and they're probably – I mean, they can still go 10-6 and six and not even uh, – and still be If they the go 10-6, and six, they're going to make the playoffs because those other teams just aren't that good. The yeah. Phillies, the Washingtons, the Minnesotas. Like, it's not as though any of these teams are playing right. unbelievable right. football. I mean, right. the best of the bunch right now in that group is Seattle. Yeah. and. You know, you saw them beat the Panthers in what was a 50-50 right. game. I mean, there are no monsters in that wild card race. The monsters are at the top of the race. That, that's the Rams and New Orleans. Right. The problem is the Panthers have to face one of the three best teams in the league twice in the final four weeks. So Dallas is uh, in first place. But if Dallas were to slip out of first place, the Panthers do have the head-to-head tiebreaker against Dallas. They lose the head-to-head tiebreaker with Washington and Seattle. Yeah, I mean... I think Dallas plays Philly this week, and I think the loser is in tough shape. I think the winner is in, in very good position to win the division. I think Washington's uh, debacle at this point with the quarterback yep. position and all the injuries is going to come down to those two teams. So I, I suppose that means the Panthers need to be cheering for Philadelphia. Final touches here on the Bearded Carcast. We survived I-77, Dave. We've survived 77. Kelvin Benjamin has been cut by yeah. the Bills. If he's looking for work, we don't pay much. No. But there is an opportunity on the Bearded Carcast. No, but couldn't you see him being the type of guy that, like, the Patriots somehow get a hold of and they turn him maybe into a tight end and he has, like, a, a strong end. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but then has a strong end of his career. I mean, he has the physical tools. Right. And he has shown the right. ability to do it. But does he have the toughness and the, the mental right. uh, side of it? That's yeah. the big question. I, I don't know. I mean, and, and he's been horrible this year, and the coaching staff kind of gave up on him. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I could see someone giving him a shot as a reclamation project. And if he fails at that, his career is over. But it, it's not impossible that someone can find a role. Well, speaking of over, our time with you has uh, come to a close here. We encourage you to send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com, and always follow us along at Bearded Carcast. Our next real big trip, Dave, is uh, to Carbondale. Carbondale, Illinois. Um, yeah, looking forward to that in a couple of weeks, but we'll probably have a show next week. Uh, we, we may yeah. effort a couple of local guests when Winthrop is off for the week. So if you have a good tip for Carbondale, send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com at Bearded Carcast. And we thank you for listening. We thank Jeremy Winder for uh, being our producer, director, engineer, especially engineer, but also our driver. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.